Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. The last few weeks, there's been a verse that pastor has shared either the verse or the sentiment behind the verse. And it's Philippians chapter three and it's verse 10. And it opens with that I may know him. And what I have come to understand these past few weeks when he first brought this up two or three weeks ago is it was on a Wednesday that rolled into a Sunday and back into a Wednesday and then back into this past Sunday to where I'm realizing now that it's not just a verse that's in Scripture that we can look to and draw strength from, but I feel like we're in this moment in time where God is speaking to this church and reminding us of how important it is to know Him. In the busyness of this life, living in a day and age when things are fast paced and it's easy for us to get behind on having time to spend with him in prayer or in Bible reading or other devotions or coming to church. In a day and age where all of that is so easy to happen, God is wanting to remind us that we need to know him. Our desire to know him is in response to God's desire to make himself known. From creation, God has been intentional about his relationship with mankind. This is the beautiful fact about needing to know him or wanting to know him is that he wants to be known. There are some things we want to do that no matter how bad we want to do them, No matter how long we've been desiring to do it, we just can't because it's not allowed. I've stood in lines for restaurants, primarily dessert places where I'm there for a long time waiting to get something. And then I get in there and find out that what I'm wanting is gone. No longer exists. The 500 people Before me were the ones that got the popcorn that I wanted. And so I realized that in life, no matter how much I want some things, I just can't have them. But it's not so with him. With God, it is our desire to know him, but he wants to be known. In creation, he created Adam and then he conversed and communed with him. It wasn't like the great Oz and the story we all know where he's hiding behind a curtain pretending to be something that he's not unwilling to make himself known. No, no. God wants to be known. And he doesn't just want to be known. He wants us to know him for all that he is. Even to the degree that Romans 1.20 tells us that creation testifies about its creator. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. 
God set this up in such a way that if you never heard of him, if no one ever testified to you, if no one ever gave you a Bible, you could look around you and you could look at the things that are created. You could look at the sun. You could look at the moon, the mountains, the birds, the animals. And in doing so, it drives you to a place, Scripture tells us, where you are going to acknowledge that someone powerful, Something all-powerful and something divine had to pull all of this together to get this perfect order to work out. And then that desire to know that and to understand that leads us to a place where we want to know who that person is. And then it leads us to a place where we can have a relationship with God from anywhere on this planet. God wants to be known His desire to be known should be met by our desire to know him. And that's what we're going to do tonight. As we're studying the oneness of God, we're not taking God and then building this understanding and teaching on who he is based on what we think. We're studying the oneness of God because our desire is to know him. And in searching him out, he reveals himself as one. That's why we're studying the oneness of God, because that's who he is. Even though man cannot fully comprehend God completely, God has employed several methods to reveal himself to mankind. One of these methods is using the different names or titles to identify himself. So let's look at the significance of a name. Now, in the Bible times, especially in the Old Testament, Names were way more significant than what they are in our day and age. Today, we name people, we don't even think about it. If we like the name, we name them. It's Apple, it's Carrot, whatever, it's, it's Juan. Somebody was super original. Nobody look at my mom right now. Don't you do it. I think my dad put the pressure on her because I'm the third. But names don't carry much significance today like they did in the Old Testament. People often use names to reveal something about individuals' characteristics, the history, or the nature. And what we see in Scripture is that God is doing the same thing. We see examples of this when we look at how God changed Abram's name, meaning high father, to Abraham, the father of a multitude. God made a covenant with Abraham that was bigger than what Abraham could even understand. It was greater than who he was as an individual and even how he knew himself and certainly how other people viewed him and knew him. And so God tells him, okay, I'm going to change your name because I want your name to match who you really are. I want people to know that when they speak Abraham, they're speaking out what I have created you to be. It's different than what you were, Abram. I've got something greater for you. And because of that, I want to make sure that I'm identifying that with your name. In the New Testament, we see Jesus where he changed Simon's name, meaning hearing or to hear, to Peter, meaning a rock. When you think about a rock, the first thing that comes to mind, if you were a bad little kid that threw rocks at everything, is a rock that you can pick up in your hand, a stone that you can throw. But that's not the type of rock we're talking about when Jesus 
changed his name. It's more like a bedrock. It's something that's massive, something that's more foundational. It's strong. It's, it's consistent. It's stable. That's what Jesus changed Simon's name to. This is who you are going to be, but we all know Peter. Peter was none of those things. Peter was the guy who was quick to act and thought about it later. Ready, shoot, aim, Peter. Jump off the ledge, build it while you're falling, Peter. Right? Swipe the soldier's ear off, Peter. Like he was not the guy to sit and really listen and, and take in things and then make a real wise, educated decision. Now, he didn't mean wrong. He didn't mean harm, but he was just fast to act. A lot of tenacity in Peter. But God said, Jesus said, I'm changing your name to Peter. What you were is no longer what you're going to be carried great significance. John chapter one, it was, it was where Jesus saw him and immediately, the scripture tells us, immediately the first words out of Jesus's mouth to Simon was, I'm changing your name. Jesus knew something about Simon that Simon didn't know about himself. Jesus understood it because when he's doing things and he's changing the names, he's identifying individuals and who they are. It's absolute. It's definite. It's not maybe. It's not possible. It's I know who you are. And we have to stand in the confidence that God knows who we are and that it's okay for us to be transferring from one person that's faithful to God and active in doing things and allowing God to shape us and make us into something different that he plans to use in a completely unique way from before. I don't know what it is, but in the last month, I've had more conversations with people where they have felt the nudge of God, faithful saints of God, who have been feeling a nudge that something different is coming to the degree where they're starting to say, okay, I need to start clearing my plate because you can only fit so much on the plate before you add something and the thing on the back falls off. So they're trying to prepare and trying to get ready for whatever it is that God would want to put in their hands. It's happening over and over again. And I believe it's intentional that God is trying to prepare a people to understand that I've got something more for you to do. He's changing people's names. He's making points that we don't even understand yet. He's setting us up for success in ministries that we don't comprehend yet, but he knows and so let me encourage you that if you're feeling a nudge to do something for God, if you're feeling a little bit of redirection in your life and in your spirit, be open to that. God, God doesn't keep people the same all their lives, doing the same thing when they're first born into to Christ as they are 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later. Now some he does. And let me tell you, that's okay too. But for those that he doesn't, you start to feel something. You have to be willing to let that shift. Here's what I know the enemy does when you start feeling that. The enemy starts telling you nobody's going to see you that way. Uh oh, 
The enemy starts to tell you that you're thinking that God wants to do more through you than what anybody around you is going to allow. You're thinking that you're some big shot and God wants to use you and can only use you. And he starts to get you to think, okay, he's right. You know, maybe he's right. Maybe I, maybe I need to back off of dreaming like that. Maybe I need to back off of thinking he's going to use me that way. Maybe I should be more silent. Maybe I definitely shouldn't talk to anybody else about what I'm feeling. And I'm telling you, that is the enemy trying to stop the progress of what God is wanting to do in your life. And not just for your benefit, for the benefit of everyone around you. He changes names because they have specific tie to who we are. Davis Dictionary of the Bible. It says to know the name of God is to witness the manifestation of those attributes and apprehend that character which the name denotes. God's name is his self-revelation. The name signifies the active presence of the person in the fullness of the revealed character. Professors from Baylor University say this, to the ancients, the name is a part of the person, an extension of the individual's personality. What we know through looking at the text is that God used names as a means of progressive self-revelation. In Exodus chapter six, we see it this way. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. So God revealed himself to a certain degree, but not completely to them. And then if we were to look at verses four through eight, and you can study this out, it makes it clear that the significance of the name Jehovah to Israel was its association with redemption and salvation. Here's what we know. Abraham used the name Jehovah in Genesis chapter 22. However, God did not make known to him the full significance of his name in its redemptive aspects. So we talk about progressive self-revelation and scripture does a lot of progressive revelation where it reveals more and it builds upon what came before and it continues to build and build and build. So in Exodus 6:3, God promised to reveal himself to his people in a new way. He began to associate his name with a new understanding of his character and his presence. In addition to this, using names to manifest his character, God also used his name to manifest his presence. In 1 Kings, at the dedication of the temple, Solomon acknowledged that God was omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time and that no temple could contain him. And since God fills the entire universe, Solomon asked the question that you or I might pose. How is the temple, a man-made structure, going to contain God? How is what we build going to contain this omnipresent, all-powerful God? But then Solomon answers his own question by reminding God of his promise. 
my name, my name shall be there. Although God's omnipresence could not be confined to the temple, here's what could. Here's what could still be present. The fullness of his character as represented by his name could dwell there. Solomon went on to pray that all the people of the earth may know thy name. If they can get a hold of your name, God, if they could get to understand who you are, God. No, you can't contain God to the temple. No more than we can contain God to this sanctuary that we sit in now. But when God shows up in a temple where the people that are present at that temple have the faith that he is who he says he is, that's different than him just being present. That's an encounter with God in a faithful creation. That's why we can walk in here and we can pray and we can say, God, we believe that you're a healer. We trust you. And he can meet us here in this place and he can touch us here in this place and our lives can be changed here in this place. But you can find people walking down the street everywhere where God is present as well that have sickness, that have challenges, that have hurts and habits and hangups and pain in their life, but they're not getting delivered because the faith and him needs to be attached to it. That's how we experience who he is. The name of God represents his authority as well as his power. For example, he invested his name in the angel that led the Israelites in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 21. This was more than likely a theophany of God since the passage expresses the idea that the angel acted with all the authority of God himself. Here's the four things and ways that God's name represents him. It represents God's presence. His name represents his presence. When we invoke his name, he's there. He's present. I can call on somebody like my cousin from Florida and I can speak his name. And no matter how many times I say it, he's going to be in sunny Florida on the beach while I'm here in Indianapolis. But when I speak the name of Jesus, it's not so. He's not across the country or across the street and can't make it here. When we speak his name, he is present. His name represents the revelation of his character, the fullness of his character. His name represents his power. And his name lastly represents his authority. How important is the name to God? Let's take a look at a few verses. God demands fear, reverence, or respect for his name. We've read that he is a jealous God. His name is to be reverenced and respected. Deuteronomy 28. He commands man not to take his name in vain in Exodus chapter 20. God warns his people not to forget his name in Psalms 44 and Jeremiah 23. And God promises a blessing for those who know his name in Psalms 91. And then again says that there is a blessing for those that think upon his name, Malachi 3.16. His name is significant. 
It helps us to understand who he is. It's the method in which, one method in which he chooses to reveal himself to people. The names and title of God in the Old Testament, there were many primarily used to designate God's in the Old Testament. I want to look at just a couple. Yahweh or Jehovah is the redemptive name of God in the Old Testament. We read in Exodus chapter 6. But it's also the unique name by which the one true God distinguished himself in the Old Testament from all other gods, said in Isaiah 42 and 8. It means self-existing one or eternal one. Not like Elohim, where it's used in the Old Testament, but it could mean a false God, it could mean the true God, or it could even refer to a man in a place of authority. This Jehovah or Yahweh was used to make clear when this is spoken, when this is written, when this is said, this is talking about the one true God. Now, since the Hebrews did not use written vows and the Jews stopped speaking the sacred name out of respect and making sure that they didn't take it for granted or use it casually, no one really knows what the original pronunciation of YHWH was. All we have are those four Hebrew letters called the Tetragrammaton, which is usually transliterated this way. Y-H-W-H, pronounced Yahweh, or J-H-V-H, pronounced in English as Jehovah. Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, those are just a few. You could do a study in the notes. We're going to have the listing of all of the primary names used in the Old Testament. But God goes even further and he starts to use compound names of Jehovah. This is where I start to get fascinated how God was so intentional in making himself known to us. There's a couple of names here that when we start to look at, you have Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see or the Lord will provide. You have Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. You have Jehovah Nisi, the Lord our banner or the Lord our victory. But God did not just introduce a list to us in the Old Testament that says, here's what I am. I'm your healer or I'm your victory or I'm your deliverer. He didn't approach it that way. God chose to do it differently and he chose to do it through his progressive revelation of the name. That's how God revealed himself and he did it in a way that as people had specific needs, he revealed himself as the answer to those needs in real time. That changes the entire game on how somebody receives and responds to who he is. Here's an example. Let's look at Jehovah Jireh. That is used in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 14. Some of you already know which Bible story that is. That's Abram. That's Abraham making his way up the mountain to sacrifice his son. Not just any son, but the son that God 
spoke to him when he changed his name when he was 99 years old and said, I'm going to keep the promise and the covenant that I made with you. I'm going to do it. You will have a son and he will be the one that the lineage will flow through and there'll be a multitude of families and nations that will come from you. But Abraham finds himself being asked of God to sacrifice his boy. And Abraham with all the courage that a faithful servant of God can pull together, is walking up that mountainside with his son. He gets him on an altar, binds his son and gets him on an altar, gets the knife out, raises the knife. He's ready to plunge it and take the last breath from his own son, the promise that God gave him. And in that moment, God spoke to him and said, stop, stop. There's a ram in the thicket. Now, when God says I'm a provider, that's fantastic. But when God shows up like that and provides for you in that kind of way, that sticks with you. That builds your faith. That, that expands your understanding because you experienced that he is who he says he is. Every one of us in this room can think back to different times in our lives where we had a need, where we just didn't know how it was going to work out, whether it was a marriage, whether it was a lost kid, whether it was a job scenario. You go through the list, whatever it was, and you can remember praying to God and asking him, I need you to intervene. You knew in your head, you knew in your heart that he was a provider. You knew he could do it, but then when he showed up, when the marriage got put back together, when the job situation worked out, when that lost prodigal came home, whatever it is, when he did it, that makes a difference. Man, I'll never forget those times. That's how God chose to reveal, it's how important it is to him that we know him. I want you to get it. He could have laid it all out and just given it to us at once. But he said, no, I want you to take time and I want you to experience it. I want you to believe it because you have something that changed in your life because of me. Jehovah Rapha. In Exodus 15, he says, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. But if we fast forward and take a look at what this means in the New Testament, there was the story when Jesus was walking down the roadside that there was a man who was there who was blind. And blind Bartimaeus was begging. He wasn't there for a healing. He was doing what he did every day. He was begging. But then he heard that Jesus was coming. And when he heard that Jesus was coming, he couldn't help but cry out and ask for him to have mercy on him. And even though some of the other believers tried to keep him quiet and try to silence him, he cried the louder. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus comes and he speaks to him and he gives him his sight. We can talk about God being a healer, but when he opens your blinded eyes, you know he is a healer. There's no question about it. He wants us to get it down in our hearts that he is who he says he is. The name of Jesus, as God continued to progressively reveal himself, if you're catching on, he just kept building it from single names in the Old Testament 
to compound names, to from compound names to compound names being introduced in the needs of his people so that they would receive it well. And now that continues into the New Testament as it's revealing itself, as he's revealing himself, the name of Jesus. And when the fullness of time came, God revealed himself in all of his power and glory through his name, Jesus. Jesus means Jehovah Savior, Jehovah our salvation, or Jehovah is salvation. This is why the angel said, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The identification of the name Jesus with salvation is particularly evident because the Hebrew for Jeshua is practically identical to the Hebrew for salvation. Especially since ancient Hebrews did not use written vowels, Strong's Concordance points out the fact and transliterates Jeshua as Yeshua. And the Hebrew word for salvation is Yahshua. Now here's what's interesting. Although others have been born with those names. Others have been called Joshua, Joshua, or even Jesus. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who actually lived up to that name. He's the only one who is actually what the name describes. He is who he says he is. Jesus is the culmination of all the Old Testament names of God. It's the highest, most exalted name ever revealed to mankind. Jesus fulfills all the 11 compound names of Jehovah. In Jesus, God is revealing himself to us. In Isaiah 52, 6, the name of Jesus is the name of God that he promised to reveal when he said, therefore, my people shall know my name. The Old Testament prophet was talking about a day that was to come and that this would be the name that God reveals himself through. It's the one name of Zechariah 14, 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name, one. One Lord and his name, one. It encompasses and includes all other names of God by which we know him previously. All right, stick with me because we've got nine minutes and we're covering a lot of material, but I want to share some things with you quickly that you'll be able to find in the notes. I hope this is okay. For us to know him and to understand him is critical. For us to go to church and open up our Bibles and worship him and not know him is unacceptable. It's, it's unacceptable. If the enemy's going to take us out, he's going to take us out because we show up, we worship, and we spend time here, but we don't really know who he is. But the enemy starts to lose his weapons. He starts to lose his impact. He starts to lose the high ground when we actually know why we believe what we believe and we actually know the God in whom we worship. That's what we're doing. I want to know him. 
The New Testament church is identified by the name of Jesus. In fact, Jesus said we would be hated among all for his name's sake in Matthew 10. The early church was persecuted for the name of Jesus, Acts 5 and 9 and 15. And they considered it a privilege. It was a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for his name in Acts 5. Peter stated that the lame man at the gate beautiful was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth in Acts 4. He then explained the supremacy and the necessity of the name in receiving salvation in Acts chapter 4, 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The apostle Paul wrote, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under earth. Because of the exalted position of this name, we are exhorted to rely upon the name of Jesus in all that we do or say. Colossians 3 says, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. We teach and preach in the name of Jesus, Acts 4 and 5. We cast out devils, speak in tongues, receive supernatural power and protection and pray for the sick all in the name of Jesus, John 14 and 16. We gather together in the name of Jesus, Matthew 18. We baptize in the name of Jesus, Acts 2.38. Jesus' name, while we do everything that we do in his name, is not a magical formula. It's not a magical formula. We can't just speak that name and things happen. For the name of Jesus to be effective, we must have faith in his name. We must know and have faith in the one represented by that name, Acts 19. And here's what's special. We talked about this earlier. The name of Jesus is unique because unlike any other name, unlike any other name, it represents the presence of its owner. When someone goes down in the waters of baptism after service today and they call the name of Jesus over that individual, God is present. He's present. Why do we have to say the name of Jesus? Scripture teaches us that, but it also brings the presence of God, the authority of God, the power of God to that moment in real time. When we speak the name of Jesus in faith, he himself is actually present and begins to work. The power does not come from the way the name sounds, but it comes because the utterance of the name in faith demonstrates obedience to the word of God and faith in the work of Jesus. When we call his name in faith, Jesus manifests his presence, performs the work and meets the need. When we call his name in faith, Jesus manifests his presence, performs the work and meets the need. I don't hesitate to pray for somebody who needs the Holy Ghost because I know if they're by faith trusting in him, he will fill them with the Holy Ghost. I don't hesitate to pray with somebody because they're sick because I know that God is able by faith to make them whole. 
This is our entire confidence in which we do what we do. It's because of who he is. And the coupling of his name with our faith in his name is what allows him to move freely here on earth. Scripture says that if we deny Jesus, we also deny the Father, 1 John 2. But if we use the name of Jesus, we glorify the Father, Colossians 3. The Bible foretold that the Messiah would declare the name of the Lord Psalms 22 and Hebrews 2. Jesus asserted that he had manifest and declared the name of the Father in John 17, 6 and 26. But here's the question. What name did Jesus declare and reveal? What name was it that he was declaring and revealing? Because Hebrews 1.4 tells us that he inherited that name from his father. So how did Jesus manifest and declare the father's name? He did so by unveiling the meaning of the name through the works that he did. How important were the miracles? How important were the signs and the wonders? Well, I can tell you this. If there was a different way that God preferred, he would have did it. They were absolutely necessary. They were how God used the power to flow so that people could recognize Jesus for something more than a phony imposter. How important is the power of God flowing in our services today? It's critical. I'm going to tell you, it's critical. We have to depend on God to fulfill his promise. We don't control him. We don't rub the genie bottle and tell him what to do. But scripture is clear that if we speak it by faith, and it's in accordance with his will, it shall be done. That means miracles, that means signs, that means wonders. Just as God in the Old Testament progressively revealed more about his nature and his name by responding to the needs of people, so Jesus in the New Testament fully revealed the nature and name of God through those miracles, healings, casting out of devils, and the forgiveness of sins. Jesus declared the Father's name by his works, for by them he proved that he was indeed the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Stand with me. Why is the name of Jesus the full revelation of God? Simply because Jesus is Jehovah and in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Colossians chapter two. When we look at the word, we can see clearly who he is. There are those you can do an internet search. I did several of them and just over and over again, people's perspective and point of view speaking with such authority on who he is, but so far from the truth. The only way we get to know and declare for ourselves who he really is versus who other people say he is, is through his word. It is clearly laid out in his word. 
And next week, we're going to take that dive into an understanding that Jesus is, in fact, God. So, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word. God, thank you for being clear about the things that are important in our understanding of who you are. Thank you for not holding yourself back, and thank you for giving us the very best, God, the things that we need. And we're asking you as we leave this place, you help us, God. Let this word marinate in our spirit. Help us, God, to be ready to give an answer should anybody else ever want to know more about who you are. Help us, God, to be ready to share it and express it to them so that you can make the impact in their lives that you've made in ours. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.